Well, we want to say a special welcome to all those who are joining us online or via satellite groups. Glad that you guys are with us. I have a couple of announcements for us. So first, we've announced this several times, but we won't stop announcing it until it happens and until you guys sign up. We are so excited for our upcoming women's conference. You have the option to join us in person here on our campus or online. It's going to be a Friday night and then a Saturday morning and early afternoon will be done by two o'clock. But we're just so excited for women to come together, gather. We're going to have fun. We have fun things planned. Um, we are also so excited just to be encouraged from God's word. Um, many of you may already know this, but our guest speaker is Kathy Christopher, who I know we love. Kathy is, if you don't know her, she's a retired pastor who used to work here at Christian Assembly. She's still part of our community. So we are so excited to get to hear from Kathy. Um, the cost is $25 if you want to join us in person. That includes lunch and then $15 if you join us online. So if you have not yet registered, please be sure to do so. If you know that the person next to you has not registered, please give them a little nudge and make sure they register before they leave here today. Um, but you can register on our website at cachurch.com backslash women's conference. It sounds like you guys are all nudging each other, which means none of you have registered. Register. Um, we also want to let you guys know about an event that Christian Assembly Church is putting on here soon. On February 26th, we have a parent equipping night um, on teenage mental health. And so we know teenagers who are struggling with high anxiety and with depression, the rates of that have doubled in the last two years. And so our church really just want to create a safe space for parents to come together and be equipped and to be able to learn best how to care for their students. So if you're a parent, join us. If you're not a parent and you're like, hey, I'm not a parent, but I have students I'm connected to, I have young adults I'm connected to, then come as well and join us. Um, just so we know how many people to uh, plan for, we do need you to register so you can register for that event on our website. Those are announcements and now we will jump in. I'm excited and honored to get to continue with us in our teaching today uh, from the book of First John. So this week we have been in First John chapter four, verse seven through chapter five, verse 20. And if you spent any time in these verses this week, you might've read them and thought, this seems really familiar. I feel like we've read some of this before in First John. John keeps coming back to some of the same themes and some of the same truths throughout what we're reading in First John. One of the things he talks a lot about is love. And so he has told us already up until this point, he's told us twice to love one another. And now in these verses we read this week, he tells us another three times to love one another. And so I'm thinking that if in this really short book of First John, if he felt like he needed to tell people five times to love one another, that we probably need to keep leaning into that and digging into that. So uh, what we talk about today, some of it might feel repetitive, some of it might feel like stuff we've talked about in the past weeks, but I just encourage us to all lean in and be open to whatever God wants to keep speaking to us about his great love for us, as well as what it looks like to love others. In week one, Coley reminded us how loving others means that we would choose not to hate our brothers or sisters, right? And I think she asked us a question like, if you're honest, is there anyone in your life that you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm hateful towards them or I'm hating this brother or this sister? And then in week two, we talked about love and how a part of biblical love involves a cost and a sacrifice, right? That if we're really gonna love people the way God loves us, that it's gonna require something of us. It's gonna require a cost. And so today again, John tells us to love one another. So we're gonna dig into that and see what else we have to learn from this. But before we do that, let me pray for us and then we will jump in. God, thank you so much for each woman who is here with us at Women's Bible Study. Thank you for every woman who's joining us online or in satellite groups. 
And God, thank you for the gift of Women's Bible Study. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word and just how life-changing your word is, Lord, that it's living, it's active, that it can transform us and change us, Lord. And so I pray today, God, as we continue to dig into these themes and topics of love, your love, what it looks like to love one another, God, I pray that you would transform us as we read your word, as we study your word, would you change us? Would you help us to live in a more deep awareness and experience of your great love for us? And then would you also just give us, empower us through your Holy Spirit, Lord, give us the ability to go and love each other the way your word tells us to, Lord. God, I also pray for anything Anything each of these women come in with today, Lord, anything hard, anything difficult, anything good, things we're celebrating and rejoicing in, Lord, we just pray that you would hold all that for us, that you would help us to be so present to you and whatever you want to do in us throughout this time, Lord. So we pray all this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. All right, ladies, so we're going to dig in. We're going to jump in starting in, verse, uh, starting in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what we read. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John is basically saying, if you know and if you have experienced God's great love for you through Jesus Christ, then go and love others. It sounds so simple, right? And he makes it sound so simple. It's like, if God loves you, then you should go and love others. One of the main points I think we see in this verse, and again, we've seen this before, we've talked about this in other ways. One of the main points we see is that loving others is an expectation for all those who follow Jesus. So loving one another, loving others is expected. It's an expectation for those who follow Jesus, who believe in Jesus. If you know that God loves you, if you have said yes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then what's expected of you is that you would love others. And we don't love as a way to earn God's love. God loves us regardless of what we do or what we don't do, but we love others because we are loved by God. We love others as one of the ways that we respond to God's great love for us. And yet, even with that all being true, if we're honest, most of us would say, yeah, but it's still really hard to love others. It's hard to love my neighbor, it's hard to love my spouse, it's hard to love my coworker, it's hard to love the woman sitting next to me at Women's Bible City, it's hard to love women at my table. Um, and that's, that's normal. That's a part of us being humans. It is difficult to love. Um, sometimes we would say, hey, it's actually easier for me to choose not to love someone and not to pay whatever cost or sacrifice in whatever way I have to to love someone. But we know that's not the way of Jesus and that's not the way that we should live as Christ followers. We are called and commanded to love one another. One of my favorite Christian authors is Brennan Manning and he has written so much good stuff. He has since passed away. But he has written so much good stuff on God's unconditional love and grace for us. And so one of the things he says is the litmus test of our love for God is our love of neighbor. 
So one of the best ways to assess how we are doing spiritually is simply to ask, how am I doing loving my neighbor? How am I doing loving others? How am I doing loving my coworker, my spouse, my kids, my friends, my coworkers, my boss, the women here at Bible study? Have we been so transformed by God's great love for us that his love overflows out of us and it flows into every relationship and every interaction that we have? 1 John 4, 19 gives us one of the reasons for loving others. John says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, right? Before we could ever attempt to do anything to try to earn God's love or his favor or his grace or his forgiveness, God chose to love us. He loved us while we were still sinners. God made the first move. He came toward us. He initiated with us. Even though we are the ones who've sinned, we're the ones who have wronged God, he still made the first move and came toward us by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to come to earth and die for our sins so that all who believe in Jesus would be saved uh, by God. If we want to love others the way God loves us, then I think we need to lean into what it looks like to make the first move and to take the initiative. There's this piece of biblical love where we have to make the first move. We have to take initiative, whether we feel like it or not. Sometimes we can be in a conflict with someone and we can feel like, well, I'm gonna wait for them to come to me. They wronged me, they hurt me, it's on them to come to me. And the truth is, we don't, need to wait for them to come to us, right? What would it look like for us to make the first move? What would it look like for us to initiate and say, hey, I'm gonna move towards you in love. I'm gonna move towards you and towards reconciliation. If we're modeling our version of love off of how God loves us, how Christ loves us in the scriptures, then it means we're gonna be willing to humble ourselves and move towards people and make the first move and take the initiative when it comes to love and reconciliation. And so a great thing to question or to consider is, is there anyone in your life that maybe you're living in a broken relationship with, you're not at peace, you're not reconciled with, or maybe you just don't feel like you're loving them as much as you could be? And what would it look like to make the first move? What would it look like to move toward them, to initiate and make that first move as a way of loving them? And maybe your first step is simply to pray and say, God, I am so mad at this person. I am so hurt. They have wronged me in so many ways. And if I'm honest, there is no part of me that wants to move toward them, that wants to forgive them, that wants to love them. But God, if your love that we see in the scriptures move toward us when we were still sinners, then help me to love like that. Help me to be willing to make the first move and move towards that person and move towards forgiveness. Something else we see in the verses that we read in 1 John is the truth that God is love. God is love. All throughout the scriptures, we see this great love story, right? We see the great love story of God and his people. But there are only two places in the Bible where this exact phrase, God is love, is used. And they're both right here in 1 John chapter 4. We read it earlier in verse 8, and then we read it again in verse 16. It says, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. To say that God is love is to say that 
everything God does is loving. Sometimes people will look at the Bible and they'll say, well, I like to spend a lot of time in the New Testament because God's so loving in the New Testament, but I try to avoid the Old Testament because I just think God is so much more loving in the New Testament. And the truth is, that's not actually true. God is love in the Old Testament and God is love in the New Testament. God is just as loving in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. God cannot cease to be loving. God is love. So when God judges, he judges in love. When God disciplines, he disciplines in love. When God executes justice, he executes justice in love. When God answers our prayers the way we hope he would, he answers our prayers in love. And when God chooses not to answer our prayers the way we want him to, he also chooses not to answer our prayers in love, in his great love for us. Sometimes, even though it doesn't always make sense to us, sometimes one of the most loving things God can do for us is to not answer our prayers and to not give us exactly what it is we're praying for, right? A couple years ago, I went through a painful situation in life and I just felt so unseen. I felt really hurt. Things just were not going the way that I thought they would and I did not understand what God was doing. But fast forward a couple of years and today, and especially in these recent months, I literally find myself thanking God that he did not give me what I thought I needed and wanted back then. And I didn't understand it at the time, but God did. God is so loving. He knows better what we need than we do, right? So even if there are things in your life where it feels like, I don't know how God is loving me in this. How can we lean in and believe and trust? No, God is love and everything God does is loving, whether or not I can see it, whether or not I can understand it. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do is to not answer our prayers, right? To not give us exactly what it is that we wanted. But if we believe that God is love and that all of God's actions are loving, then it will give us greater hope and peace in those seasons of life where things are hard, things are challenging, things aren't going the way that we, we hoped they would, and we're not really quite sure what God is doing. The truth that God is love also helps us to see where our definition of love needs to be founded. It reminds us that our definition of love needs to be founded in God and not in what this world says about love because God and the world define love very differently. God defines love very differently than our culture, our media, social media, the news. God's definition of love is so drastically different than the world. The world says that love is about me, right? And love is about me getting my needs met. But biblical love is about others. Biblical love is about loving others. It's about helping to meet the needs of others. The world tells us that love is primarily a feeling. It's an emotion. So if you feel like loving someone, go ahead and love them. But the moment you stop feeling like you want to love them, you can just stop loving them. You can end that relationship. You can end that marriage. You can end that friendship and move on to something or someone else. But biblical love is an action, right? Biblical love requires us to love in action, to actively love others, even if we don't feel like it, even if our emotions are telling us to do something else. The world tells us that love is about acceptance and tolerance. So the world says, hey, if you really love me, you will tell me that you accept and tolerate and you are okay with everything I do and everything I say and every decision I make, even if it's wrong, even if God's word says something different. But biblical love rejoices with the truth. Biblical love goes hand in hand with truth. So sometimes the most loving thing that we can do for someone is to speak truth to them and to tell them this is what God's word says.
Are there any ways that you find yourself living by a definition of love that you can't find in the scriptures? Are there any ways you find yourself living by how the movies define love, how social media define loves, how the world defines love? And what would it look like for us to come back to God's word and say, God, help me to define love the way you define it, to live out of the love that your scriptures talk about, not the way that the world defines and talks about love. So God is love. And then I think the third truth that we see in these verses in 1 John is this. If you are in Christ today, you can be confident that you will be with him in eternity. If you are in Christ today, you can be confident that you will be with him in eternity. 1 John 4, 17 and 18 says this, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when John says perfect love casts out fear, the word for perfect means complete or mature. And the fear, when you look at the context of what's being talked about here, the fear that God's perfect love casts out is the fear of punishment or judgment for our sins. If you are in Christ, then God wants you to live with great confidence and assurance that you are forgiven for your sins and that you have received the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You don't have to fear God's wrath or his judgment or his punishment or his condemnation because Jesus already took upon himself the judgment for our sins when he went to the cross and died for our sins. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there there is now no condemnation for you because you are in Jesus. God wants Christ followers to live with total and complete assurance of his great love for us and full confidence in our promised eternity with him. And yet, if we're honest, a lot of us who are Christ followers would say, hey, if I'm honest, there have actually been moments or days or seasons, or maybe you come now and you find yourself in one of these days or seasons where you have doubted God's love for you. Maybe you've doubted your salvation or you've doubted whether or not God could really forgive you or you've lived with this fear, well, maybe my sins aren't really forgiven. Maybe I'm gonna spend eternity apart from Christ. And if you've ever found yourself wrestling with those doubts or those fears, I just wanna say, I'm so sorry. I too, as a Christ follower, have wrestled with similar doubts and fears. And so I'm sorry for the, p the fear and the pain and the hurt that comes with that. I have followed Jesus for as long as I can remember. I honestly don't even remember when I first gave my life to Christ. I just remember many youth camps where I recommitted my life to Christ, just to be sure. Um, not that anyone can relate. But a, bitty, a pretty big part of my story includes many, many, many years where I wrestled with these doubts and these fears and I just felt like God doesn't forgive me. I felt like I had to work to earn my salvation. I wrestled and struggled with legalism and I was truly and honestly for a long time just tormented by the fear that I was gonna die and I was gonna spend eternity apart from Christ. And if you're in Christ, you know that that is the absolute worst fear and worst thing that could ever happen is to spend eternity apart from Christ. 
But that fear is not what God has for us. That fear is not what God wants us to walk in and live in if we are in Christ. And so for me and my journey, through much prayer, through talking with different pastors who I trusted and respected, through reading and rereading specific passages of God's word, and then for me, counseling was also a big help. So through lots of counseling, I was able to find so much greater freedom from those fears and such greater assurance and confidence in God's great love for me and his forgiveness for me that is based on nothing I have done or nothing I've said, but it's because God loves me and I am secure because I'm in Christ. So if you are in Christ today, you can be confident that you will be with him in eternity. First John 4, 16 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Do you know and believe the love that God has for you? Do you know and believe that God loves you regardless of what you've done or said or thought? One of my boys um, went through a stage where anytime he would get in trouble, and my kids rarely get in trouble because they're just perfect children, but he went through this stage where anytime he would get in trouble or I would have to discipline him, he would look at me so sad and it would break my heart when he said this, but he would look at me and he'd say, mom, do you still love me? And I was, I was like, oh, buddy, of course I still love you. I will always love you. Nothing can change my love for you, but that doesn't mean that I'm always gonna like your actions and your choices, right? So I say that to say, do you feel confident in God's love for you in this moment right now, or do you resonate at all with my son? Is there any part of you that's like, well, if I'm honest, I kind of relate to your son, and when I'm with the Lord, it's just like, God, do you love me? Do you still love me? Do you forgive me? Could you forgive me for this? Here's how Brennan Manning asks this question. He says, do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness? beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? If you're here and you find yourself doubting God's love for you, then I want to encourage you to spend a lot of time reading and rereading God's word and specifically go to passages that talk about God's great love for you, his great mercy. I know for me, the book of Galatians has been super helpful for me. It's one of my go-to books, but it has just so much good truth that talks about how God's love and forgiveness for me is not dependent on me. I can't earn my own righteousness. I am only declared righteous because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Um, so spend time reading and rereading God's word. And I also want to encourage you to pray and to ask God to show you in tangible ways his great love for you, to help you experience his great love in new ways. Towards the end of the book of 1 John, John tells his audience why he's writing to them. And he says in uh, chapter five, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John is writing to Christ followers, that's his audience, and he wants them to know and to trust and believe that they have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And similarly, if you are in Christ today, then God wants you to know and believe and trust and be assured and confident of the truth that you have eternal life in Christ, that you will spend eternity with him. When we live with deep confidence in the eternal life that we have in Jesus, it changes so much about 
how we live. It changes how we grieve, right? Yes, we grieve, we mourn. There are so many losses that we experience here on this earth. But when we are in Christ and when we keep eternity in mind, we do not grieve as those without hope because our hope is beyond this world. We have hope in Christ. It changes how we share our faith. When we live with eternity in mind, it reminds us, hey, our faith is not just for us, but we need to go and share faith with others. We need to share the gospel with others. We need to go to people who don't yet know who Jesus is and say, hey, let me sit with you and help you know Jesus. I want you to experience new life in Christ the same way I have. It also changes how we spend our time and our resources. It makes us desire to be fruitful beyond this world, to be fruitful for God's kingdom, to want to bear fruit with the help of God that has eternal and lasting value. So if you are in Christ today, then you can be confident that you will be with him in eternity. And that's how God wants us to live. If you are not in Christ, in a few minutes, I'm gonna give us a couple ways to respond. If you are not in Christ and you've never said yes to Jesus and you are living with this fear and this torment of God's judgment and the punishment for your sin, you can say yes to Jesus today. You can say yes to the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. And so I'll give you a chance to do that in a moment. But what I wanna do right now is I wanna invite you guys to take whatever posture is comfortable for you. You can put down your notes, you can put your hands out in front of you, but I wanna walk us through a few different ways that we can respond today. And this is just between you and the Lord, so I encourage you, this isn't about what your neighbor's doing. Close your eyes, be still before the Lord. And one of the first things we're gonna do as a way to respond is hear the good news of the gospel. And for some of you, this is your time to say, hey, I wanna respond to the good news of Jesus for the first time. But I also wanna speak to those of us here who are Christ followers and say, if you've been around Bible study or Christian assembly, you know that we share the gospel on a regular and ongoing basis. And as Christ followers, we need to not tire of hearing the gospel, right? The good news of the gospel is good news for you, whether you've given your life to Christ or whether you haven't. So if you're here and you've given your life to Christ, would you hear the gospel spoken over you today? And would you say, God, remind me of the good, good news of this gospel that I've said yes to? The gospel, the good news of Jesus says that we've all sinned, we've all made mistakes, we've all fallen short of God's good standards for us, we have all fallen short of God's glory, and what we deserve for that sin is death. The punishment for our sin is death. But we don't have to pay that punishment because God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus took our sins upon him. He took the penalty for our sins upon him. He paid the penalty and the punishment so that we don't have to. He rose three days later to new life. And all who place their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, not our work, not any work we could do, but all who place their faith and trust in Jesus and his work on the cross will be saved, forgiven for their sins, made right with God, and will receive the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that is good news for each and every one of us here. If you're here, if you're with us online or in a satellite group, and if you have never said yes to the love of Jesus, if you have never invited him to be your Lord and Savior, but you're ready to do that now and to say, God, I want to experience your perfect love that casts out fear. I want to experience new life in you. You can do that now. Wherever you're at, you can simply pray. I'll pray. I'll say this prayer, and you can pray this after me, but you could say, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin 
and he rose three days later. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I commit to following you, God, all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, we welcome you into the family of God. Your next step is to get baptized. Would you also let me or Coley or your Women's Bible City leader know so that we can walk with you in your journey of following Jesus? And then a few other ways I want to invite us to respond first. And again, this is just between you and the Lord first. How are you doing with loving others? Just take a moment to invite God to speak to you and even convict you and just say, God, how am I doing with loving others? And see what God has to say. And if any areas of sin come to mind, repent of those. Ask God for his forgiveness. Ask him to help you to love others more. And then I invite you to sit with the question of, do I believe, do I truly believe that God loves me? If there are any doubts or fears that come to mind for you, share those with the Lord. Ask him to remove those doubts and those fears. Ask him to help you experience his perfect love that casts out fear. And then third and finally, if you are in Christ Jesus, then your future is secure in him. Your eternity with Christ is secure and guaranteed. And so ask God to help you live with full and total assurance in your eternity with him. Ask him to help you to live with eternity in mind. As we close, I'm gonna read one last scripture over us. A lot of us might be, will be familiar with this, but it's from 1 Corinthians 13. It's great verses about love and how the Bible defines love. And so I'm gonna read this over us and just invite you to ask God to speak to you through this. 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And so God, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that this 
that these verses we just read describe your great love for us, Lord, and that you've called us to love others with this kind of love. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for coming after us, Lord, so faithfully and so consistently. God, thank you that even if we don't see what you're doing or know what you're up to, Lord, that we can trust that everything you do is out of love, God. Thank you that your word promises us that all things work together for good for those who love you. God, I pray you would help us to walk in great confidence in your love for us, in your grace for us, in your mercy for us. And God, I also pray that you would give us all we need to love others. Would you equip us through the power of your Holy Spirit to love others the way your word tells us to love God. And for anyone here, Lord, who is still not sure what they think about you, who's investigating faith, Lord, I just pray that you would continue to work in their lives, reveal to them who you are, show them your great love for them, Lord and bring them to a saving relationship with you, Jesus. God, would you bless our Bible study groups and would you just help us even in those groups to love one another well, Lord. We love you, God. We pray all this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.